Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Caught Offside. With Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside. Just outside of New York City. And from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Uh, what's up is we've got a great podcast coming up, man. I, I, I usually look for some kind of titbit from your life. Uh, but there's no need for this. Let's get straight to it, man. Tell them what's on the podcast. Uh... We're going to go through a little bit of League Cup stuff. Not too much, but uh, a couple notable results that were worth mentioning. A um, little bit of MLS postseason. Crazy thing happened in Germany. Uh, and by popular demand, because we we had said we were going to get to it, then we couldn't uh, on our last podcast because it was so jam-packed. But I saw some of the animals posting that they wanted the 2014 versus 2023 USMNT comparison. Um, yeah. After uh, CBS, with their kicking it show, um, where Josie Altidore said he thought the 2014 would beat 2023, so we do have a presentation prepared um, on on our feelings and thoughts. We, on we that. do, yeah. I have a PowerPoint and everything. Um, wow. Yeah, and then JJ, really the highlight of this one. So a couple of years ago, when the Super League debacle occurred. Um, we had on a guy who I would say even in the moment and even since then has emerged on has emerged as like the authority on these kinds of things. Tarek Panja, who the whenever there's journalist, whenever there is some sort of controversy happening in this sport, uh, he is such a just such the right voice to kind of lend perspective, to lend insight, things that are being talked about behind the scenes that maybe the common fan isn't quite aware of that you and I aren't quite aware of. Um, He's just, he was phenomenal. I I think even to this day, I don't know about you when people ask me, JJ, you know, we've been doing this for 10 years, pretty much who's our favorite guests. And, you know, there's, there are some big names in there. Wenger. We had Bruce arena right after the U S MNT disaster. Um, But honestly, yeah, but, but Tarek, when he joined us (laughs) during the super league, it was, it was so necessary and it was so good. So he is kind of that guy for me. And uh, with Saudi Arabia, 
I mean, it's basically nailed on now getting the 2034 world cup. Um, we thought he was the right guy to bring back on, to talk about why that happened, how it happened, all the nuts and bolts, ins and outs from it. So we're going to talk with him. Uh, and I, I truly cannot wait for that conversation because I think he's, he's just the best on this stuff. No, he's, he's absolutely fantastic. Um, there, there are some man city, uh, listeners of ours. Um, Sean comes to mind who won't want to hear from Tarek Panja oh, because okay. he said mean things, mean but accurate things about their football club. Uh, actually, not mean, just accurate. So, okay. yeah, well, he's, uh, he's not beloved by all, but he's actually he's brilliant. He's just brilliant. He's a great journalist. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we're going to talk to him uh, coming up shortly as well. So, yeah, should be a should be a great podcast. Can't wait for this one, and we're in it now. Um, and so let's start with um. You know, before we get to some of that, some of the midweek stuff, we like to touch on that out of the gate. League Cup, uh, Carabao, the Carabao, as you all refer to it. The the Carabao, no one calls it that. The Carabao. Manchester United, JJ, look. Yeah. They lose uh, again at home. Um, It's not good. It's getting worse. I don't want to beat a dead horse. Uh, because we we kind of just did this, but th- these results are piling up, and they were the defending champions of this tournament. It would have been helpful, I think, for a, a lot of people within that organization right now to have made a bit of a cup run. Uh, it now ends somewhat prematurely. Not that losing to Newcastle is a disaster. No, but but, I, but they could the they could have used it. But but the context is they beat Newcastle in the League Cup final in February. Here's the chance to kick on. And what we know now is Newcastle are 20 times the team they are. And they've come back and dumped them out of the cup. And if anybody has got like bad feelings about this, this fixture overall, Eddie Howe is probably still scratching his head and thinking, we let this lot beat us in February. I could have that a trophy. Newcastle's first in decades in the, in the lock, in the back at St. James's Park. And, and some, because honestly, Andrew, like they, United were dreadful, dreadful um, in this one. And I, I, I honestly don't think the story is the game. Although, I mean, United's defending on each of the three goals from goalkeeper to midfield, to, just so weak, so incredibly weak. Um, but the Times was uh, was reporting today that Manchester United are considering alternatives to Eric Ten Hag, oh. who was thought to be, quote, on thin ice at the club. Um, James Lawton reporting on that one the the club have come out and denied that but i mean it's i think who was it yogi barrett's getting late early Mm -hmm. i mean ten hag is in the position now where he's dumped out of the cup that they won as you know before the quarterfinal stage um he's there's general unrest amongst the players that's been drip fed into the media. They're probably going to go out of the Champions League at the group stage, or they have a heck of a fight to not to to um, to make sure that they don't. And they're nowhere in the league, and it's the first week in November. So, like, if if the board are maybe not, I actually don't think they're moving to replace him because a lot of the targets that they would have had in the past are not there. Um. So, I I think. There's certainly conversations around, well, what if this gets worse? And there's no sign it's getting better. Like literally nothing. 
Yeah, I know. And and the unfortunate thing for United is that they've had they have had a couple of these results that like we've come on the podcast and been like, okay, they didn't play great, but the the drama of what just happened there, that's the kind of thing that can spur a club on. The the McTominay game, the Onana penalty save. Like they've had some of these moments along the way where it's like, okay, that you know, that that's the turning point. And I don't know none of none of these things are proving to be that. And the status quo is, is remaining. In fact, those those results are looking more like the outliers um, yes. this season. And so, I mean, look if you're if you're power ranking managers on the hottest seat, I think he is clearly occupying that top spot right now. I don't even know but he, who's he, close. I mean, he has been from the get go. <laughs> I know they, you think they, that. They, well, I mean, it was it was it, it was evident last season. He lost the he lost at home to Brighton. Then they got hammered away at Brentford. Then they kind of righted things somewhat. They got what we thought was progressively better, although now it just seems as if they got the results, the performances we thought were getting better. And that all culminated in the high watermark of winning the League Cup, the Carabao Cup last season. And then everything since then has been bad. Let's be honest, bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what they were able to do towards the end of last season was scrape out enough results. Now they're barely scratching out the results against poor sides or they rather sides they should be beating um and but you'd have no faith going into any game any game that they'll win it um and and uh, and and that's where we are so look we said we wouldn't beat the dead horse if we haven't beaten the dead horse andrew we've we've given a, a light spanking well the only the, the last thing i have on this is because when it, look whenever something like this happens with a club especially a club with the stature of manchester united and the financial backing that Manchester United have on the transfer market, you know, they can bring in top talent. We know all that. When they go through a stretch like this, um, you know, what, what was I reading? This is the most defeats that they've suffered in their opening 10 league matches since 1986. Like, you know, this is, this is kind of unprecedented. This is uncharted territory that we're dealing with right now with this club. And it's not to absolve the manager. Uh, but I think that, it's the easy fallback position where the manager gets it in the situation. Mm-hmm. I just, that is right. And and he is rightfully on the hottest seat right now of any manager in the Premier League. And I would say if you're a betting man, the odds are he's going to pay for it at some point soon, even with his buyout being, uh, uh, I was reading something, I think there could be 15 million headed his way. And that could be the biggest hurdle to him being fired is that amount of money. So we'll see if we'll see how that impacts things. But I just want to make sure that the players get it too. That this is this can't just be the manager is terrible and he's holding back this group of players that are destined for greatness. What? No. You know, there there are guys on this team that we've seen play well. We've seen them play well under this very same manager that are just not at it right now. And I can't entirely explain why Marcus Rashford is a shell of what he was last season under the same manager. Bruno Fernandez, who is the, the captain of this team is a non-factor week in week out right now. He's supposed to be the leader and he, and he's had great games under this same manager. There are key players for this team that are not delivering. And I don't know that I'm ready to put all of it on Eric Ten Hag. No, but, uh, but equally, Andrew, the, the triumvirate of Casemiro, Mount and Anthony and the money that's been paid for those players to come into the club are his signings and they've been rubbish, not up to it. Go through the whole side. Onana, a disaster so far. Diego Dalla. Most Man United supporters would have thought 
couple of years ago, he'd gone out of the club. Maguire tried to get rid of him. Now he's starting. Victor Lindelof. I mean, what what more what more can we see from Lindelof? He shouldn't be there. Regulon, a, a Spurs reject. Casemiro finished at the top level. Somehow Real Madrid got him off to United. Mason Mount, not a Manchester United player. Not up to it. Wasn't up to it at Chelsea. Anthony, an expensive disaster and a disaster with implications off the field as well for the way he acts in his personal life. Hannibal, that started the other night. A youth player that all I see him is go around and kick people. Good. He may have potential. He's not shown it. Garnacho. I actually like Garnacho. He has been dreadful the last run. Like a liability. Will cough up possession. And then somehow, some way, Anthony Martial is leading the line for Manchester United. Now, this is just a disaster from top to bottom. It's not all the Ten Hag's ma- making. But he has to take responsibility for some of it. And we've talked about Ange. Ange came in. What was the big criticism about Spurs? Well, I know they've got Mickey van der Ven in. I understand that. But Spurs, defensively, they'll let him down. Are we sure about that midfield? Is Son, is Son going to have a season like last season or a season like the seasons before? He's lost his main striker. He's came in to that football club in and around, Andrew. He's and come in. He's come in. And they are playing in a way that you can say, that's how Ange Postacoglu wants to play. Mm-hmm. Now, Ten Hag has come in and recognized that he can't play the way he did with that famous Ajax team. So we're not getting Ajax Ten Hag. We're getting a repackaged, refurbished Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. That's what we're getting with the performances so far and the style of play. He wants them to be the best counter-attacking team in Europe. They're not the best counter-attacking team in Manchester. Well, Never mind Europe. Okay, so they're nowhere right under right now under this manager, and he has to take some of the blame as of much course, as he of course, them and gassed him up. What he's done really is what Taylor Swift done with 1989. He's repackaged that album. He's he, he's he's the album is still the same as it was under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's revamped, but I mean the the tunes are still the same. Uh, I suppose so. I mean, I just—it so just now makes we're me... moving into bludgeoning the horse. We're 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 we've we've done what we said we wouldn't do. Yeah. All right. The, then we'll move on. Um, if there's any other League Cup results that stood out to you that are worth mentioning for you, if there's any team right now of the remaining teams that have reached the quarterfinals that you think could use a title here the most, I mean, the one that's that sticks out for me is the one that just beat Manchester United. I think for Newcastle, this is the natural progression. You know, first year. Um, they started to find their footing second year. They qualify for the, the champions league and now third year to win a, a, a trophy of some sort. And, and I think it'd be particularly important for Newcastle this year, because I think it's going to be really, really difficult for them to finish top four again. Um, I, I think we're starting to see that materialize, especially with them fighting in, in the champions league as well. So I think if they could come out of the season with an okay champions league showing for themselves and a trophy in, in, this tournament, I think that would be massive for the direction that Newcastle's headed. Yeah, I mean, for me, you can't look beyond Port Vale. Um, <laughs> Port Vale are the team, you ask a team that needs this, they're 16th in League One. Then this is just massive for them, and they're going to be hosting Middlesbrough on December 19th. What a story that is. Great to see them there. Great to see Middlesbrough there, to be honest with you. And I'm delighted that draw brought them together because we're going to see someone to advance into the semifinals that we wouldn't expect to usually see there. Um, you know, for me, uh, for me, God, all the all the all the phrases are coming out tonight. You know, if Chelsea can do something 
that can help Pot right, right the ship, get to a final. I mean, that would be truly amazing, although they've got the work out, as you said, against Newcastle. And uh, Liverpool beating Bournemouth to book a place with West Ham. West Ham will be cursing their luck to have Liverpool um, at home at Anfield. Um, but uh, just Darwin Nunes' wonder goal that won it uh, at Bournemouth, at Valley Parade, not Valley Parade, excuse me, but uh, at the Vitality. Um, the one thing I would say about it, it's the worst first touch I've ever seen that has led to a spectacular goal. What a combo. This man is a mystery. I mean, I, I look, I love him. And I think I think we have to enjoy the ride with this one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's going to be absolute sitters missed, but you're going to have spectacular goals like that, too. So um, it's just fun. And it's interesting. because I, I do goal- think he he's proven himself as a net positive. Uh, yeah, so far I would I I I think so. Until there's a big <laughs> night where the margins are so fine and he shins one from five yards. But he's just as likely to shin one into the top corner. Like who knows? Like he's he's the ultimate wild know. card. But I think it's I think you see a lot of good from him. I think you see the the class that he has in it, goals like the one he just scored. I mean yeah, well, you didn't. You saw both. You saw you saw the yin and the yang from that. I mean, Andrew, he was nearly in the car park to retrieve that first touch. I don't he know what happened. He had to go there, past yeah. the Stewart. Uh, dreadful. But um, the final thing on that: if you go on uh, Twitter on X and you find um, uh, it will say Nunez, maybe it'll say training video. He's training with um, with Uruguay last season. And he's on the left-hand side and he cuts in and it's exactly like this goal, except he shanks it so far wide that it doesn't even go out for a, a goal kick. It goes out for a throw-in. Oh, no. Yeah, and that was used as kind of uh, one of many sticks to beat him with online when things weren't going great last season. Um, but you can say that he's learned from that error and he knows where the goal is now. A spectacular goal and uh, and an intriguing player is all I can say. Uh, a couple other things midweek before we uh, we go ahead, step aside and come back with Tarek. Uh, MLS postseason Columbus in the uh, the series that I was most intrigued by in the first round. Columbus beating Atlanta United FC 2-0 in the first game. Atlanta was just just so poor. I think I saw that their XG was like 0.1. It was something it, it barely God. even registered. Uh, Columbus just it was 2-0. Maybe it could have been worse. Cucho Hernandez is such a fun player. For that team, it was a great atmosphere in that stadium. Um, so fun one for Columbus, all borderline completely and totally unwatchable for Atlanta. However, this series remains the one. Like if I were thinking in my head of okay, now all the all of the game ones have taken place, and now game two at the uh, at the other team's venue is about to go down. Of all the teams that are trailing in their respective series, which is the one that's most likely for a team to turn it around? This one is still on my radar. Simply because you can see what Atlanta is when Tiago Almada is not in their 11. And he was out, of course, with that decision day red card. So he missed this first game. You know, he's an 11 goal, 19 assist player. He's, uh, I was reading something, I think at MLSsoccer.com, that like 41% of their big scoring chances created are created by him. The next closest on the team is like 16% or something. Like he generates everything. And so I'm so excited to see them go back to Atlanta and inject him back into the lineup 
when he's probably ready to explode, having had to sit back and watch that in the first game. And so if it's 1-1, if Atlanta can go back and win that second game and it's it's 1-1 back to Columbus, and we know Almada back in the lineup, Columbus, that plays for game three would be crazy. Um, but we know Columbus are so fragile in defense. And so I still think, even with such a poor showing from Atlanta in that first game, I'm still kind of looking at them as the team I believe is is potentially most likely to turn it around uh, through these first games. I, I know a lot of people will look at Sporting Kansas City and St. Uh, St. Louis City um, just because it's the nature of a one versus eight matchup. But I don't know that that looked weirdly convincing um, for for SKC to do that on the road too. So we'll see. So yeah, for me, Columbus and Atlanta is still the must watch of this set of first round games. Yeah, I caught something from uh, Red Bull New York's. John Tolkien, who we talk about a lot on this podcast, he was asked about the playoff format, and he is in simpatico, Andrew, with your thoughts. He said, we've seen it a lot in the first games. The away teams go down two goals, and it's like, we have to prepare for the next game. It's not like goals matter anymore. Mm-hmm. You could lose 7-0, and the next two games win on uh, win on penalties and advance. It blows my mind. It's, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. Removing from from the aggregate format in this sport is hard to get your mind to that place. It's just it's ingrained three in us. Games, and that's part of the sport. But uh. three games just seems seems unsoccer. To be honest, <laughs> a best of three series. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. It's definitely taking some some getting used to. Sure. Um, so yeah, MLS postseason rolls on, and then JJ finally. I mean, the biggest story from mid, from all the midweek action was not MLS, was not England. You will not see a bigger upset in this sport this year than what occurred in the German Cup the other day uh, when Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich were defeated, JJ, by, by who Saarbrücken. Saarbrücken, Andrew, who play in the third tier of German football. Although, to be honest with you, Saarbrücken's setup is pretty spectacular. Their fans are, are first tier. Um, I'm fantastic atmosphere and uh, Marcel Gauss scored the winner uh, it was Muller put uh, um, the uh, put Bayern one nil up Saarbrücken equalized again tremendous atmosphere for that equalizer and then 90 plus 6 Saarbrücken sealed the deal Marcel Gauss with them with the winner now this is the audio sans commentary just so you can breathe in that full Saarbrücken crowd That's spectacular. I mean, it's once in a lifetime stuff. It's amazing for the, for, for it, the people who were there to witness that, like they, and for it to end like that. I um, I saw a tweet from an American observer. I don't know if it was our friend Max Bratos. I'm not sure. Sorry, apologies, Max, if it was you. Um, but the tweet was: This is why all uh, open cup first legs are open. Well, they're all first legs, but you know all Open Cup games against lower division sides should happen at the lower division ground. I co-sign on that a billion times. And if it's a draw, it goes back to the to the big team. But you should try and play in for a result like this if you can. I'm not... But, but that's... is a, If you're trying to force this to happen, does that reduce the specialness of it? It's not forcing it to happen when, I mean, think of the disparity from like Christos FC 
no, who I... were formed out of a liquor store in Maryland versus, you know, DC United or whoever it was. They scored yeah. that goal on and went 1-0 up. Mm-hmm. And the atmosphere there was unbelievable. And that was what, Andrew? Like a park, like a local park. So I just feel like there is such a disparity between the top tier teams and everybody else through the pyramid that you're you're not it's not like over oh, evening the playing field. You're only only evening it slightly, but you allow for these great crowds and you allow for these great moments if they're gonna happen. Well that's and the thing most, is, is yeah, they most likely won't happen. Right. But like I, I do understand the desire to create these forever moments and they're more likely to occur if they're taking place in, in that ground. And, that, and also it's an acknowledgement it's acknowledgement that football is not on the same um it's not on the, on the, on the same level plane as it was twenty years ago when Chester, or, you know, twenty almost twenty five years ago when Chesterfield all the, went all the way to uh, FA Cup semi final and took Middlesbrough to a replay. Sean Dyche famously was playing for them then. It's not even like that. It's not even even like Hereford and Newcastle when Hereford knocked Newcastle out. The difference between the middle, the lowest paid player on Newcastle and the best played player on Hereford United then was not that dramatic. Now it's chasmic. So, hey, let's let's tinker with it a little bit. Yeah. And, and you know, weirdly, too, uh, Sarbrook and were in the semifinals of this competition only three years ago in 2020. Yeah. So maybe, in fact, uh, this should have been played in Bayern Munich's ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. The giants of Sarbrook. Kane did not play. No, he looked glum. Um, I, I, gee, I, imagine that. <laughs> Just sat there. Uh, imagine that. As He's not he... used to being rested for... When's the last time he was rested? Really rested? Spurs never do that. Well, no. Last year, uh, when they remember Conte... What was it? They rested... They rested a lot of guys, I thought, for their FA Cup match, uh, which they lost, they lost to Sheffield United... And but then all, they... the, and then all but those they... guys that they rested, they wound up losing to Wolves at the weekend anyway. It was just like the disastrous stretch for them. I think Kane was among those who was rested in, against. But well, didn't he bring him on at some point anyway? Probably. Right? I mean, probably, probably. Yeah. Now I was reading that Kane was rested for this one partially because of a, a minor hamstring issue. Oh uh, well. So we'll yeah. see. But I mean, what he must be thinking because he's having another Harry Kane season. Uh, you know, right now he's looking like he might win Bundesliga Player of the Year. Um, at the rate that he's going, but like all all of his problems have followed him. <laughs> he's I, I feel know. terrible for. I mean, what are they ah. third? They're third in the league. They just got bounced in what the what is this the second round of the DFB Pokal like I mean, by a third tier side? Like he's, it's November. He, he it's went November. He went to Bayern like, to escape this. Is he going to is he going to do a Gundogan on it? And they said, I didn't. I didn't come here. I for didn't this. come here for this. Yeah. I didn't come here um, for this. Their classicer is on at the weekend, so we'll yeah. see how that pans out. Yeah. Um, so there you go. I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Tarek Panja of the New York Times, their global sports correspondent, he's going to join us to talk about Saudi Arabia and how and why the 2034 World Cup will almost assuredly be going there. More caught offside still to come. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. Uh, JJ, like we talked about at the top of the show, we mentioned. Um, about Saudi Arabia essentially being named as the 2034 World Cup host nation, I, I guess by default. And when we have some of these complex topics, there, there's really one guy who we feel is vitally important to speak with. He guided us through the mess that was the Super League debacle. Uh, you can read his work, of course, the New York Times. He's a must follow on X or Twitter. Uh, it's Tarek Panja back on the show with us now. Tarek, how are you? I'm good, thanks, guys. Nice to be with you again. Yeah, it's good to have you on. I, let's get right into this here because. With regards to this World Cup, I mean, there there have been some controversial host nations of late, really. Uh, but a World Cup hosted by Saudi Arabia could top the list, I think, of controversial host nations. It's still 11 years away. But, you know, when Qatar was awarded the 2022 World Cup, we all remember that look. It was like this panic look on uh, on Sepp Blatter's face when he read it off. What about this time around for Infantino? What's the feeling throughout FIFA with regards to a, a Saudi Arabian World Cup? Yeah, if if you look back to the day when Qatar came out of the envelope in, in on December second, twenty ten, there was that shock, um, and also the fact that lots of people in the world hadn't heard of this place, um, tiny, um, thumb shaped peninsula in the Persian Gulf. Then you know, ten years on, everyone's heard of Qatar through through largely through the World Cup and its spending in in, in uh, football. Uh, Saudi Arabia is slightly different and. Obviously, the the decision, um, the suddenness of it, and all of that, withstanding, it has seemed like an inevitability in a way. Um, given the way things have panned out globally in sport, in football, and then you look at particularly the behaviour of Infantino over mm. a number of years towards Saudi Arabia. And the proximity of the FIFA president to to that to that country, um, so yeah, I think the word I would kind of hew towards is that inevitability. Tarek, you speaking on the inevitability, you wrote in twenty eighteen, uh, all roads lead to Saudi Arabia in in, in football terms. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, <laughs> so you're not that surprised, are you? This is a process that started in twenty eighteen. Yeah, uh, someone reminded me about that story yesterday. Actually, I'd forgotten about it, and um, they said, "I suggest you, you, you read it." Yeah, um, and yeah, that was when this effort, and we've seen since then it manifesting itself more obviously, not just in football, but in golf, for example, and all the rest of the 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 the, the, the sports and the, the the money we've seen pour into things. But yeah, that that was when the nature of the ambition was first clear and the kind of aggressive intent 
to use um, the power that Saudi Arabia has, I guess, through its sheer wealth to bend the sporting world to its will. And I guess now we are at the the, the high point of, of, of that effort. If you think about clawing the world's most watched sporting event back to almost exactly where it was last held when it was in Asia, let's not forget Qatar shares a land border with Saudi Arabia, many of the kind of similar characteristics. And it, from a, a FIFA or a football vision point of view, it seems kind of absurd that if you're going to come back to Asia, you will pretty much put it exactly where it was before. So the only thing we can conclude here is that kind of old adage that, you know, money talks. So, so what I'm interested about here is something you said to us, I think in 2021, when we were talking about Infantino, and you said that this is a man or a president that is concerned with legacy, with leaving something after him. And I'm curious, just like you said, you know, to return to that part of the world exactly almost beside where we've already had a World Cup doesn't seem like legacy. And also bringing so much heat upon yourself by dealing with a controversial regime like Saudi Arabia doesn't seem like like leaving legacy. What's what's Infantino's thought process here, apart from money? Well, very hard. Um, you know, I'd love to ask him, but he hasn't held a press conference in a really long time, and that's um, another another theme that has emerged in in the kind of later Infantino years is his aversion to direct scrutiny from 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 the media. Mm. Um, he's been very busy on his Instagram account, for example, or through um, proxies or statements and things like that, but. The, the chance to ask any of these questions that, you know, so now we have to kind of look into the tea leaves and sort of study the man from afar and then and then kind of hypothesize on, on what we're thinking, which isn't right. great, given that it should be a very new, very transparent fever after everything that's happened in the past. But anyway, what why, why Saudi Arabia? Um, well... You, you you have to look at what the the power structure of FIFA and how the FIFA president derives his power. Um, Two hundred and eleven member nations, most of them utterly reliant on FIFA funding for their their income and their you know and their their own kind of um, national power bases. So all these little mini Infantinos in all the different countries, national FA presidents, and they rely on on this largesse and in turn they are the ones that keep the FIFA president in place now Infantino as he you know one thing I don't believe FIFA is short of money but every year after year more and more money is promised to these national federations and by giving this to Saudi Arabia now 11 years before it's due three years before it was expected to be selected, the 2030 host, means potentially 11 years of heavy Saudi spending on, among other things, FIFA sponsorships, FIFA programs. That that kind of solidifies the power of the president and his ability to um, 
stay in situ one thing and then to do other things so for example Gian Infantino has always been looking enviously at UEFA where he used to work because it has the club competitions Champions League and so on and all the money that makes so what did we have um was a kind of various attempts to to kind of have FIFA as a center of club football as well and there was this plan in 2018 again I think Saudi backed with SoftBank to do um, um, a club world cup big club world cup that would have been on an annualized basis and they were going to sell it for 25 billion dollars that that collapsed in acrimony with with UEFA and then there were whispers that um, Infantino maybe gave a, a wink and a nod to the people who were behind the Super League uh, break away from 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 UEFA and then they could have um, uh, you know a funnel into an annual club tournament that FIFA would do in the summer um, that that didn't happen um, and that FIFA and Infantino deny that he, he he was party to any of this anyway um, and then we have had the emergence of an expanded Club World Cup, which will feature 32 club teams and be held every four years, the first one of which is in 2025. But in order for that tournament to be excellent and with teams firmly focused, because the summer, Northern Hemisphere summer, is when teams are normally in pre-season, when they are just sort of tuning up. They are not really keen on going full pelt. So you need something... Uh, that would focus the minds of these clubs. And, you know, what focuses the mind in football, we know it's money. If that Saudi funding now starts coming in at the levels we expect it to, having been gifted this 2034 World Cup, that will help fund a supercharged Club World Cup and huge prize money to the teams that will compete in that. And guess what? If you're if you're offered a hundred million ticket to win, you might play your best players and you might try as hard as you can to win this thing. And that suddenly becomes, you know, one of the world's major football tournaments, you know, ahead of anything else. So possibly this. So there, there is two two schools of thought. One, the solidification of, of concentration of his own power at the top of FIFA. We fully expect him to to stay there beyond the twelve year mandate. He said he can, um, based on I don't know, um, clever interpretation of the statutes, which have term limits, and this um, funding of of new bigger tournaments, particularly in club football. Tarek, so essentially, it feels as though Saudi Arabia won what kind of looks like a rigged process. The one point of resistance to it could have been Australia. They, of course, did not bid. Did they want to? Did this process end too early for their liking? Was there support for an Australian bid? Was was there any chance of that ever materializing into a real threat to Saudi Arabia hosting this tournament? Personally, I don't think so. Saudi Arabia has picked off member nation after member nation over the past year through this um, term called a memorandum of understanding. It's signed to these. I mean, maybe a euphemism for I don't know what I don't know what what the cooperation agreements are but um if I was if there was money involved it can only be going I think one way um through investment in football and in these places and and then whatever scrutiny of that um finance uh, you you know you'll have to you'll have to ask those countries um 
So it's done that. It's done confederation agreements too. So in terms of the numbers, I think Saudi will, 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 would likely have had the numbers. Then you're talking about process. So let's see how this happened. Like I said, this 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 bidding process was supposed to be in three years, not right now. So what happened? You know, in the first week of October, there is a FIFA Council meeting. A few days before that, an agenda goes out and says we will be discussing this 2030 and 2034 scenario. 2030 somehow now includes three continents um, with, with Morocco representing Africa, which we knew would be having a, this joint bid with with Portugal and Spain. The, the, the possible opponent or the, the known opponent was going to be uh, the four South American countries, um, Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina and Chile. And then suddenly this idea comes up and said, look, because it's the centenary of the World Cup, we will start the uh, World Cup in South America, in, in Uruguay, Montevideo, but then also have one game in, in um, Paraguay and one game in Argentina. And we've suddenly stopped talking about Chile, who must feel very humiliated at this point. And, and somehow that's a very neat thing has just happened here because FIFA's continental rotation of where the World Cup should be played has somehow, you know, um, killed three continents in, in one tournament. South America has sold itself for three games for the next eight years, which is incredible um, in a way. And like you could say, given the size of the World Cup, 48 teams and the economics involved in that, now maybe South America, you know, can't do this anymore. Um, you know, but but whatever, we don't we don't know this now. So that's gone. Um, I heard that the plan would have been just for Uruguay to have an opening game, and and then the, and the continental rotation element wouldn't have affected South America. So you have to ask Alejandro Dominguez, the Paraguayan um, comparable president, why having a game in Paraguay was enough to sell his entire continent away. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Again, we haven't had a press conference with him yeah. either. We saw a dancing meme of him on social media to announce this this um this deal so that just left oceania and and um asia although i've had it from a senior um fifa official that concacaf could have actually had a chance to they just didn't want to now again you this this is what i've been told and the thing is with these fifa statutes they're fungible it's whatever they want them to be because you just kind of sit in a room and you decide yeah you know we can move this around so you know that that creates a situation, a very um, useful situation when you when you want Saudi Arabia to to secure the World Cup. The next thing that happens was okay, it's going to be in Asia or Oceania, and you need to in, show us your intent to bid within twenty five days. And you're thinking the World Cup, wow, that's a massive infrastructure project potentially billions of dollars involved and we need to get a lot of stakeholder buy-in and talk to everyone. Um, it's not just about football stage, it's about security and commercial, like a lot of lot of thinking. And you're saying, what, you want to give these people 25 days to say they're going to do this? That's going to be really hard unless you're an autocratic regime. Maybe what, a, a monarchy in the Gulf? Perhaps where you have one ruler who will decide everything? Oh yeah, okay. So it works for, it works for them. Um, and if you're Australia, um, you know, as a democratically elected government and all the kind of intricacies and difficulties, I'd say, with a democracy that uh, are the checks and balances that, you know, most of us would probably appreciate. Um, 
stop consolidation of power, etc. Things take a bit longer. And Australia, don't forget, were badly burned in, in the bidding for the 2018 and 2022 World Cup. 40 million Australian dollars of public money were spent for one vote. Um, you know, scandal-plagued FIFA bidding process. Those scars haven't healed. So it's a it's 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 a big it's a big deal. Um and then um not only do they have to decide this within 25 days, they've got another five weeks to come up with a government-backed bid. And we've just said that Australian government was so badly burned. You're telling them to have an intent to bid within 25 days and then um, provide government backing to a bid within, what, five weeks. It was just very, very, very difficult for for them and, for, uh, frankly, most nations to, to, to consider this. And there was one other element which I found really funny. Um, so for the 2030 World Cup bid, there is a requirement that you have seven stadiums already kind of World Cup ready that might need tuning up, so already built, basically. Mm. Um, but for 2034, you only need four. Guess who only has four stadiums ready? <laughs> oh, look, um, somehow it just needs... Saudi Arabia just happens to... to it sounds uh, like they, have that it sounds like they are there. just the perfect venue, really. They've yeah. got everything just set up for them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a long, long way of saying I don't think Australia stood a chance. And I think Australia, you know, uh, being a little bit cute here a bit as well, they're going to try and leverage this disappointment to to secure other 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 events. And they, they went public to say they're, they're looking to to host the um, uh, 2026 Asian Women's Cup and the 2029-32 team Club World Cup, the, the tournament we described um, earlier. Um, Tarek, I again, I'm I'm asking you to to probably answer a question that is is very difficult to answer. But you know, we heard rumblings, uh, particularly from the reporting of of Josimar, I mean, more than rumblings from the Norwegian FA about Qatar, and in the end, they didn't, you know, about non participation in a World Cup that would be held in a place like Qatar. In the end, it didn't matter. Norway didn't qualify. Um, do you see Saudi Arabia as a line in the sand for some nations who might just say? We, we can't hold our nose. We we can't do this. Or or do you think just those days are gone? Everyone, especially with the the flood of footballers to so the Saudi leagues, maybe maybe there is no resistance. There will be a World Cup there, and everyone will participate. Yeah, eleven years is a long time away. So you know, hard to know what the world looks like now, um, yeah. especially given current events and all the rest of it. But but in terms of that opposition on, on the grounds of human rights, I think we're going to see a lot of. Um, hand wringing and disquiet, and, and you know the, the the problems that affected Qatar um, and the, the concerns around Qatar are, are present, and in some cases present on steroids when it comes to Saudi Arabia, hmm. which is why I think it's been quite um, incredible for many people in. In in um, you know in the West in the countries that oppose um, the Qatar World Cup, how quiet their football associations have been actually in the days since October fourth or whenever FIFA first made it clear that it looks like a Saudi shaped bid was was prepared or a Saudi shaped um, um, bid competition was 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 announced and then 
um, this week when it was announced that Saudi was the only bidder. There's been very little comment from any of the European football um, associations. I think the Swedes have come out and said something, but but very little. And like I said, 11 years is a long time away. The, the, we will have a lot of the same reporting. I remember when I went to Nepal to do a piece on the, the migrant workers in that country who went to Qatar um, and, and many who suffered as a result of Qatar's migrant labour laws. From the data, if I remember correctly, more of them were going to Saudi Arabia at the time where where conditions were arguably even worse because um, Qatar was forced to enact some um, changes to its labour laws through through the scrutiny. Whether whether they were actually enforced is another question. Saudi Arabia hasn't. So so those conditions exist. And I also think the salaries are even lower in in, in Saudi Arabia. So that all of that all of that all of those issues exist. And, you know, and we're talking about you know women's rights and and, and um, the the um, criminalisation of homosexuality. All of, all of the those issues that they, they, they're all there. And I'm sure very expensively recruited public relations people from pretty much I'm sitting here in, in London and wherever you are in the US are probably not too many miles away from where, where we're sat will be yeah. telling us um, a different story about how everything is improving and, you know, um, to, to get with the programme. But th- th- those issues will be there. Um, and I think all the teams will go and play there, you know, as it stands. Um, they went to Qatar. Why will they not go to Saudi Arabia? 2026, we've got three nations co-hosting the tournament. 2030, like you said, six. And then you get to 34, and right now it's just one. Have we crossed the threshold where that is what it will be, or is there still time potentially for Saudi Arabia to link up with another country and co-host this? I, I think, I think you know, 48 teams, Saudi Arabia um, is, even with all their wealth, and their ability to to kind of do it, I guess, through 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 just the, the scale of what they're able to do, is probably not not the um, not not the solution that we'll end up with. I personally think they will partner with someone, and I think potentially it will be used as a diplomatic tool. Maybe you know these things are such large platforms so much global attention so you know um i don't know what they'll have the, they will they will be the deciders with fifa but i think saudi hold the 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 aces here if they want to partner they will partner and i think whoever they partner with will will probably be um linked to geopolitical considerations more than anything else Tarek Padgett, great stuff. We appreciate your your insight on this. We're 11 years away, so Lord knows the content that is still to come between now and when this tournament uh, actually takes place. Tarek, thanks so much, man. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Uh, our thanks to Tarek Panja. What a conversation. Um, a couple things on this that stood out to me from talking to him and from just in general of just consuming a lot of content around all this. Um so, JJ, when this all happened initially, like the first day that we found out about this, I, I came on this podcast and said, this is 
start wrapping your minds around this, people, because this is only going to end one place, and that's with Saudi Arabia hosting the 2034 you, World Cup. No, to give you your credit, you went full Colombo on it. You explained exactly what Tarek said about right. the uh, about about the different uh, confederations and right. how they, this was. FIFA rigged the process to make sure that Saudi Arabia was going to that this was going to happen. The process was yeah. rigged. But even I, JJ, in that moment, I don't even think I fully understood just how rigged to hear yeah. Tarek sit here. Like a lot of those dots that he connected, we we did talk about. But to hear him go to the detail of the fact that the seven stadium rule was reduced to four. Yeah. So Saudi Arabia could fit into the guidelines of nations that are qualified to host this tournament. I mean, it's so it's so brazen. It's so out in the open for everyone to see. Like you have to almost you have to laugh at it almost. You do. And I it feels like we're in a new era of FIFA. It's not that FIFA is less corrupt. It's that the corruption has changed. Where in the past it was shady deals, um, you know, flying to CONCACAF with brown envelopes, uh, money changing hands, secret. Now they're just like, this is tiring. This is too. Let's be fully transparent in our brazen corruption. You know, let's lay it all out there. If people know, they can't investigate. And I'm thinking of the meme with the with the guy tapping to the temple of his head. Yeah. If it's all out there, there is no Netflix documentary exposing us. There is nothing. They're they're just they they don't care anymore. Infantino um Infantino's gone rogue. You know, most presidents, there's a requirement for in, in all like business and 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 presidents of states, there's for the most part, unless they're like certain loonies that we've seen in the last few years, they are measured. They are uh, very careful in their words. Like Infantino isn't anymore. Like when he does speak, well, first of all, he's like decided he's like the president of a banana Republic who refuses to do press conferences anymore. I don't have to tell anyone anything. I don't have to explain myself. And when he does get annoyed or steamed up, he'll come out today. I feel gay. Today, I am a migrant. Well, you know, he'll do some kind of shtick for you. He's 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 gone completely rogue. I mean, how he's an upgrade on Blatter is, I I just think he's a different kind of. Um, well, the thing that I'm I have to pick my words because you don't want to say, yeah. Look, we don't have careful with what evidence we have to back up some of these claims the, the... no but we know what they're doing we i mean it's clear what they're doing um but it's hard to allege as as Tarek said um for us to say impropriety when the methods of rule by which fifa operate are so as Tarek said fungible malleable they um they just make it up as they go along really so Isn't so it? It, it does. Yes, it absolutely feels that way. Um, you say there's not going to be any Netflix documentary. If there was going to be the only the thing that I would need them to hone in on, because you, you're right. You're saying that a lot of this is just out in the open. Yeah, seven stadiums. Nah, it's four now. There you go. Saudi yeah. Arabia, like stuff like that. You're right. It's so out in the open that it's just like, well, this is this is hilarious. The okay. one thing, the one thing that I need the documentary on. JJ, I have to know what happened in South America to allow this. Wow. I have to know. That's the only well, thing. For them to burn an entire opportunity 
to host a World Cup with probably multiple nations. I know Argentina felt like you know the main one, but it could have been a, a, a triumvirate Argentina. I mean, what was it? Chile was involved. Like Tyrek said, there were four countries, basically. For them to burn the whole opportunity to host for three group stage matches in, in some lame attempt to honor the 100th anniversary. I mean, it's patronizing South America. Like, it, it doesn't... No, they can talk about it being the 100th anniversary and this honoring it, but that's it, that's a joke. That's a joke. To burn the whole thing for three um, group stage matches. I got to know. I got to know what happened. I, I want to know if money changed hands. I want to know. I want right. to know. If suddenly a few South American countries uh, are sponsored by maybe Riyadh Air or, um, you know, visit Saudi, would you be shocked? That's what the documentary is for. Okay. We we we... won't preempt this documentary. Um, So anything else on that? Because I do find it, I mean, look, it's, it's not uplifting. It's not, you know, but I find it, I do find it interesting. Um, Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in, and I I asked Tarek about it and and he was fair. He was right in saying, well, it's hard to hypothesize forward 11 years because it is 11 years. And as we're saying, things are changing uh, at a very quick pace. Um, And, and, and we, and, and it's worth saying with what's going on now, we don't know how that region is going to look. There were alliances that we thought were going to form prior to October 7th. And we're not sure if they're going to form anymore. So, it might be possible that Saudi Arabia is not a viable host for a World Cup. I, you just don't know. Uh, Eleven years is way too long to it's know. Way stuff too like long. That. Yeah, it is. All I would say is, um, I'm I'm curious. It, it, at the time when Norway took the stance that it took, uh, I, I debated at its highest levels of of its football association, seriously debated about the morality of going to Qatar. I wonder. I wonder if if a country like that would will will hold those views. I wonder if there'll be enough significant dissenters to say we're not going. We just don't want any part of this. I now, the cynic in me says, "Forget it, baby. It's over. It's done." It's, but I I'm not. Again, eleven years. Hard to know. Or Australia. Yeah. I mean, the Aussies never stood a chance here. And what Tarek said too about how the you know last time around they got burned with all that corruption after spending forty million of public money, and now they oh. got to go through the same song and dance again. Like no wonder they're just like, no, we we want to host up. this thing, but we're out. We can't do this again. Not with the not Eng- with you guys. The English threw their entire parliament, uh, their prime minister David Beckham at his height, mm. Bobby Charlton, God rest him, um, and Prince William. Like they literally put together whatever they could for their last bid. I can't remember when that was for. And I think they've essentially given up on it. They are like, we much sooner deal with UEFA. We'll have European championships, combine it with Northern Ireland, Republic, whatever. It's just easier than, than trying this. Um. So yeah, it's FIFA politics, man. Crazy. Yeah, it really, it really is. Um, and, and the last thing for me, I, I'm curious with one of the things that we closed on there. So let's say Saudi Arabia does wind up, like Tarek said, it's his belief that there's a good chance of them choosing a co-host for this thing. Who's who's a natural fit here? Kuwait. 
I mean, I guess Fair like enough. had Qatar not just hosted one, like they like Tarek said, they they share a land border. Like this would have been the one that makes sense, uh, but obviously that's not going to happen again. Um, I, I just wonder Andrew, who who it would be. Um, I mean, I d- I don't see anyone there really. Yeah, and they probably uh, don't unless it's someone unless it's someone like tiny, like I said. Um, I mean. I mean Kuwait, Bahrain. I mean, but again, they're like in the in the Qatar size. Um, maybe things are so politically different that Saudi Arabia and Iraq. I mean, you can't see oh it happen. I don't know. It, that can't happen with Iraq. Um, maybe. Um, and by the I way, mean, if they if if they if they completely annex, I mean, I mean, there's what's going on in Yemen, right? Which is a I'm like not sure I foresee case. Yemen as a co-host nation for a World Cup. Well, hang on a second. Do you foresee Saudi Arabia? No, you didn't. Did you foresee Qatar? You didn't. No. What I'm saying is... Those places, it, I think, are a little different politically right now than Yemen. They they are politically different, but Saudi Arabia is up to its 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 neck in involvement in that, in, in executing, I don't know, would you call it a proxy war? Uh, maybe the Yemen... When things settle down in Yemen, if they do ever settle down, maybe we see a different government installed and a government that's more amenable to to the House of Saud. Who knows? Who knows? I, I think Saudi Arabia will go it alone. Why are you getting me involved in this? I think, well, I'm sorry, you're a co-host on this show. What, you want to just sit back and relax? That's I'd rather not do. talk about the geopolitical situation. Well, I didn't know that you were going to go there. I'm just asking who, who's no, going to host me, with well, them. Who, who would call? Well, who would it? That's a natural question. If, he, no, if, but, if Tarek says he thinks there's going to be another one, who? who? And by the no way, one. land may not, like, being near them may not matter. We're about, we've just awarded a World Cup that's taking place across the ocean from each other. Uh, so, like, I don't know, pick a, spin the globe and point somewhere. I, I don't know. Um, who yeah. the hell knows? Who the I hell think knows? it'd want to be somewhere close, I would think. Well, we'll see. In 2034, maybe we, we might be teleporting by then. It might not even be a big deal. Yeah, you'd love that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't everyone? Not really. I don't want to be turned into particles and then sent somewhere. I want to know exactly how I'm going to get there. That's It's like flying with Ryanair, Andrew. You don't want to risk it. Um, so our thanks to Tarek. Fascinating stuff. And like we said at the end of that, we're still 11 years away. So Lord knows the content still to come um, as we uh, inch forever closer to uh to that world cup all right jj let's do this now so we um about a week or so ago we we brought up the kicking it uh show on cbs and how they had josie altador on and he was asked about the 2023 side the current u.s men's national team and they he picked i guess they picked out the 2014 team i mean josie altador spanned a long period with the u.s men um, and he was a part of the 09 team that beat Spain. And he was a part of the team that in 2017 that lost and missed the World Cup. So he spent he spent a lot of time playing for this team. But they picked out 2014 and asked him which was better. And he answered by saying, if the two sides played each other at full strength, I think ours, 2014, would win. Better's a weird word. More complete, I would say, our generation in terms of just position from position. Better talent-wise, individual, I would say this one now but not everywhere in certain spots. So he thinks that the 2014 side would have the better time of it against this 2023 team. And so we had said we would dive into this. Um, 
and and I have. Should we? Are you ready? Yeah, let's let, let's do it. Um, I'm not I'm not sure where I am here, but let's go. Let's go okay. for it. Come on. So I'll start here. Let, we go position by position. Then let's do that. Okay. Well, so yeah, I guess as a bit. I mean, to start out. So I looked at the 2014 World Cup, which is interesting, by the way, because you might remember Altador, who's at the center of this conversation. He got hurt 21 minutes in to their first game. He only played 21 minutes in that World Cup, so he was not really a part of it. Um, but if I'm just looking at the guys who played the most in the 2014 World Cup, it's Tim Howard uh, defensively, Demarcus Beasley, Matt Beasler, Jeff Cameron, Fabian Johnson. Midfield was mostly Graham Zusi, Michael Bradley, Jermaine Jones, Kyle Beckerman, Alejandro Bedoya, um, and then up front, Clint Dempsey, who was brilliant. Um, and then the 2023 team, I kind of look, I mean, we pretty much know what that is. Turner, Dest, Miles Robinson, Tim Ream, Anthony Robinson, McKinney, Adams, Musa, mm. Wea, Balligan, Polisic. I mean, you got some guys on the bench, Reyna, Aronson, certainly. Um, but let's go with what's most likely to be the 11 for 23. So I'm looking, so, okay, here I go. And you feel free to, to stop me at any point here. First, I'm going to start by looking at the 2014 side of this. And then I'll get to the 2023 part. 2014, if you kind of look through, I I love Matt Turner. I give a fairly sizable edge to Tim Howard. I think he's Howard one. I think he's one of the best we've ever produced at that position. Howard starting. There's not. There's not a question. Now um, I would say in the modern game, like Howard just got out in time before back passes and kicking. I would worry about him if he was asked to play out from the back more. All right, he maybe. Never was, he was never asked of him, and Turner can do that slightly better. So um, yeah, and but, and Howard was brilliant in that World Cup. I mean, the game against Belgium, like. He was he was fantastic. All the shots were at him, but um, that's not but, true. That's not point true. Being no, Howard's a better keeper. He just is. So yep. now, when we get into more of the meat of this, here's the thing that's interesting. I feel like, tell me if you agree with this, JJ. Um, I sometimes feel like when people talk about U.S. soccer, there's a little bit like I feel like Polisic marks this era of young Americans who have gone on to play prominently in Europe. Right. And I do feel like newer US soccer fans sometimes don't give enough credence to the fact that it didn't start with him. Like there's a little bit of like how we t- how we joke about the Premier like England football in England didn't start until 1992. I feel like there's right. a little bit of that thinking sometimes with this idea of Americans playing prominent roles in Europe that it didn't start till, until Pulisic. Did not. It did not start with him. And if you look through like let's start with Josie Altador. Like, yes, 2013-14, he was at that season, he was at Sunderland, and it was his unbelievably disappointing one-goal, one-assist season. However, just one season prior to that, he was in the Dutch Eredivisie at Alkmaar and had 23 goals and four assists at age 22. It was the fourth most goals of anybody in the league that year. And two of the guys who had more than him were Wilfred Boney and Graziano Pella, who went on to have pretty prominent careers in the Premier League. Like, J.J., so 23 goals, four assists is what Josie had in the Dutch League. Ricardo Pepe, let's just take him. And he's in the Dutch League now with PSV. What would we do? What would the reaction be here if he had 23 goals this season? Like, I know he's what, about a year, year and a half younger than... He'd be like, when is he going to Serie A? When is he going to a top team in league going? When is he going to a Premier League side? That's what it would be. We'd shit our pants if oh, he yeah. did that. And so, SR and, and so I know that he's he's like a year, year and a half younger than what Altador was. But jo- but the point remains, Josie was 22 and had a 23 goal season there. So like he okay. could play. 
<laughs> he could play. And, sure. and his injury in the 2014 World Cup at 22 minutes, it, it hurt. It hurt the team. Um, yeah. Okay, but like, like let's let's go at it, Andrew. Let's go position for position. Like Dempsey, is there a true goal scorer on the 23 team quite like what Dempsey proved to be at that stage in his career for that team? I mean, like he had just gone back to MLS, but he was he was only two years removed from a 17-goal Premier League season with Fulham. You know, like even other guys, like Jermaine Jones, he appeared in nine Champions League matches in, in the two seasons leading up to the 2014 hmm. World Cup. Michael Bradley had just returned to MLS after spending nine seasons in the Netherlands, Bundesliga, Premier League, Serie A, Bedoya. Mainstay with Nantes, really important piece for them. Jeff Cameron, JJ, he gets forgotten a lot by American fans. Key player, a really key player on a Stoke City team that finished ninth in the Premier Mm. League three straight seasons. Beasley had just returned to Houston, but prior to that, 10 years with PSV, Rangers, Man City, Hanover, Puebla in Liga MX. Fabian Johnson had eight Champions League starts uh, to his name when when his career was all said and done. I agree. There was a lot of good... American players who were playing fairly prominent roles at various clubs throughout Europe during that time. I mean, you know, Bedoya carved out a nice career for himself in, in Ligue 1. Um, but then you had your you had your Beckerman starting. Uh-huh. You had your Graham Zuzis. Um, Graham Zuzzi wouldn't get within that. He wouldn't get within a shout of the 2023 team. No. Ah, boy, no, I, I like nowhere Beckerman. Nowhere near it. Beckerman was... I thought he was a pretty good player for the U.S. Really reliable. Beckerman, Beckerman was 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 fine. He was fine. But Zuzi Beckerman, they wouldn't get in. They wouldn't get in. Zuzi had they the assist did. on John Brooks's goal. Yeah, good. And and you know what? He was a decent. He was always a decent crosser of the ball. Um, but technically, pace wise, skill wise, he's not getting into that midfield. He's not getting into that attack. Where would you like? Where would you put him? He, he doesn't get. No, in. you're right. You're right. He wouldn't. Um, so I looked at it and I think Howard starts in goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going through the 2014 team. I think, wait, are, are you doing your 11? No, I haven't picked an 11. Well, look between, between, um, between the two teams. So I would have Beasley, Cameron and Fabian Johnson. I would not have Sergio Dest or Anthony Robinson in the side. And I think wow, Tim see- Ream. Tim Ream would come in at, at, for for Matt Beasler there. Ream, I mean Ream could have played in 2014. Boy, uh, I'm I'm surprised. I wouldn't have Miles Robinson near it. No, 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 I, I, no, 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 not about that. Well, I mean, look, the fullbacks. Yeah, yeah. I'm really no. surprised by your Be- choice Be- there. Be- Beasley's what well, Beasley's resume. I mean, Sergio Dest has bounced around. No, it's not for- not Dest. Beasley over Anthony Robinson. I'm really, I'm kind of stunned by that. Be- you can talk about Beasley's resume, but primarily his resume was made playing up front. He now credit to him that he man he managed to elongate his career to a level that none of us thought by moving back and playing in, in a left back position. But I would take Ant- I'd take Anthony Robinson over if we're talking about Beasley the left back, not Beasley's whole all his whole resume. Beasley the left back, I would take Robinson. No offense to okay. Marcus. I love him. He's one of my all-time favorites, but I'm right. surprised well, I was by including, you. I, I think his in, in, his entire resume. I and and um well, but that's not that's not what we're doing here. All right. All right. Fine. Robinson. Dest I wouldn't I wouldn't include. Yeah. And then after that, the entire the entire midfield from 2023 is just a better midfield than in 2014. I don't know how you can argue otherwise. 
Um, it's younger. So it's I, cha- less time. I mean, I, I changed the their setup a little bit. Like I kind of went with a diamond. Um, I, I don't know. I, I have I have two of the three in. McKinney's the only one I'd have a question mark. Over. See, he he I included because I think he just when he's on, I think he just adds something so special to this team. So you dropped Musa out, did you? Yeah, For I who? did. For I who? did. I have four in my midfield. Okay. Uh with Michael Bradley, Tyler Adams, Jermaine Jones, oh, and no. Weston McKinney. I think Jermaine Jones was such a bulldog. And if you put him at like the like a back of a of a diamond in the midfield, I think as a shield to that back line, he's I don't know. I thought he did that. He played that like role so well. I feel like we've got rose uh, colored um, history specs about Jermaine uh, Jones. I think he was a very limited player, extremely limited. Mm-hmm. And I think Musa, Adams, McKinney are just technically better. I mean, I have two of them. I just yeah, left I one of them out. So, uh, how do you, co- you know what I think? You... Of, and then up front, I have Dempsey and Polisic. Which I would, um, I wish, I would love to have seen. If Dempsey and his prime and Pulisic and his prime together would have been so fun. You know what? I'd be very hard to argue with that. I see. I saw the entirety of Dempsey's career, and he got. He actually got better as a player as he as he went on, which can often happen. And he wasn't just an out and out goal scorer. He had a lot of other things to his game, and he was tough. Um, and he carved out a great career for himself in the Premier League and got one big move to Tottenham. And uh, and Pulisic, obviously, in this generation, I wouldn't argue with that front two at all. Not at all. What a fun, fun two up front that would be. Yeah. So, oh, uh, by the way, Altador, if he was fit, nowhere near it. Nowhere near it. His boy, his career is such a tough one. I'd still take injuries on un- right now. Yeah. Even though they're so different, and Altador is are. like. Altador is like a dying breed. He scored. He of... scored so many goals, so many big goals for the U.S. But mm. I don't know. For some, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I don't know if a lot of American fans were just like scarred by what happened for him at Sunderland when he went to like to a bigger league. Um, I think that definitely left things sour. And then he's popping up, and a lot of his a lot of his great work, club career wise, was done at Toronto. And then it's he's too, been dera- he, he's been derailed for so long for what could have been decent years with injury. I think if people went back and looked at his career um, with the U.S. men, I think they'd be surprised by how good it actually was. And unfortunately for him, he he had a little bit, I'm not comparing them as players, but I'm saying he has a little bit of like that Neymar syndrome of getting hurt at the worst times. Like right. Neymar seems to always be hurt when like the Champions League knockout stage is coming around. For Altidore, oftentimes it was like World Cups. Um, and that, you know, that's when guys kind of make their names. Um, like the fact that he missed pretty much the entirety of 2014 when he's in his prime, that sucked. That was unfortunate. And then the next oh, one yeah. was, was 2018, which we didn't qualify for. And he was part of that qualification process. So, yeah. I know we're doing this because of what Josie said on kicking it with uh, Kate Abdo. Mm-hmm. But like, I think the 2002 team was better than the oh, 2014 team. By the way, you maybe 09 also when they got to the final of the Confederations Cup. Like, well, he was, he, they seem to be including that in the 2014. Um, really? Because the teams were, were quite different. Were they quite different? Well, I mean, like, I you had a, your, your center backs, I mean, your, your center backs were like Jay Demerit and Gucci on Um, you know, who was, was like fullbacks? I mean, I'm trying to off the top of my head now. Was Jonathan Bornstein one of the fullbacks for that team? 
might have been. I'd have to go back and look. But you know, that yeah. was kind of like peak Donovan. Um, you know, Dempsey. That was I would say around the That's time the when other he was thing, really like, making Donovan, a name for himself. Donovan should have been on the 2014 team as well. He, like he that was have. He like, so should have. we should we could we could easily be saying do you, do you play Clint and Landon up front? And, and on the latest kick no. it's actually Landon Donovan and um one of the segments is uh, that Landon and, and Clint saying it's it's not that we didn't like each other, and they clearly didn't like each other. Um, but it was uh, you know, we still had the respect. It, it was just this kind of awkward conversation. It's okay to say at the time you didn't like each other, and, and there was great talk about um how they they would avoid celebrating with each other. Like if, if Clint scored, Landon would suddenly have to tie his shoelace. So he'd be bent down during the celebration or, you know, they kind of run away. They'd avoid that kind of. I got to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Like huh. I think of, of, of all the things CBS have, have churned out lately, that one, that one might be, might be the that, winner. It's very relaxed. Got... Kate, yeah. Kate is relaxed. Um, Cause you know, she's there. She might be wearing a baseball hat, you know, relaxed Kate. But at the same time, she doesn't let them get away with something. Like if they say, if they say something, she, she, you know, oftentimes you're screaming at the TV, well, follow up, follow up. Don't let him get away with that, especially in football speak. And she'll go, well, why did you think that? Why did you do that? Why is that the case? So yeah. it's like those conversations are actually pretty good. And they're on sofas, Andrew. Yeah, You know, like it's that. almost like the friends uh, from friends just sitting around at Central Perk chatting, um, except about football. Uh, so, so ultimately, here's where I come down on this. So for 2023, Here's here's what we have to acknowledge. This isn't real. Like, this is what they threw out there. Fourteen versus twenty three. It's not a fair fight, really. Like, the, if you look at it, the twenty fourteen team was comprised pretty much exclusively of guys who were seasoned Veterans. pros who yeah. were like deep into their careers with years yeah. of experience under their belt. I took the average age, so I looked at the twenty fourteen World Cup team. And by the way, this is not including Donovan, who would have only boosted it. I took the average age of the 13 guys who played a hundred minutes or more for the U S at the 20, uh, at the 2014 world cup. And it was a little over 28 years old. Wow. And that was he- And by the way, that was weighed down by 20 year old Deandre Yedlin, who barely crossed the hundred minute threshold. He was the closest. He, he played like 115 minutes. He was the closest to not crossing it. Who did, he didn't start a single game, but he still made an impact. So you're talking but 29, like, 30 then. Yeah, basically. So, and like then, this current squad for the U.S. in 2023, I'm going to read this from a Sports Illustrated article just prior to the Nations League final versus Canada. And they write, the American starting 11 for Sunday evening's final in Las Vegas against Canada is the youngest the United States has ever started in a final with an average age of just 23 years, 314 days. According to a tweet from the team, midfielder Yunus Musa, midfielder Gio, uh, Giovanni Reina, and defender Joe Scally are the first trio of 20-year-olds ever to represent the United States in such a setting. So, like, I'm just laying this out there to to, to make note of the fact that it's not – this is not a level playing field. <laughs> like, the ceiling, I think, for this group is definitely higher than that group. But if they were just playing against one another, if I had to vote, JJ, I think I'm taking 2014. Cringing, waiting for social media reaction and hate. Yes. Um, I think I'm going to go with 2023. Okay. 
I know there's more dogs of war in 2014. There definitely is. And less hype videos. <laughs> but but I, 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 I do believe that, that the younger crop would do it. I think that, I think they would do it. I'll say I this. I think technically they're just too far ahead. I'll say this about the younger crop. The fact that the age disparity is that significant and it's this close, that says a lot about what we think of this current group in a good way. And there's every chance that this current group will not, will, will only equal and won't do, I mean, they, they've got as far as the 2014 group already. Right. Um, Although, I mean, but like the nature of, of those two things are a little bit different. Like, I don't know the fact like 2014 had to go through peak Belgium and nearly did it. Whereas the Dutch, like the U S had a couple moments in that game. Like if Pulisic scores, who knows, but the Dutch kind of dominated, had their way in that yeah. game, which again, all right, not is, is kind of to be expected. Like that wasn't disastrous that that happened. Um, so, you know, the U S in that tournament, they played well against Portugal you know, they, Germany beat up on them, but it was only 1-0. The U.S. hung in there. Uh, the Ghana game was a weird one because the U.S. scored 30 seconds in, and then Ghana were dominant trying to get back into that game, finally did in the 82nd, and then four minutes later, Brooks scores the winner. Like, that game was so uneven uh, where the U.S. were just like, in the way that game played out. I don't know. So the tournaments were so different uh, despite the fact that they each went the same distance in them. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. I I hated having to do this. This I I I wasn't bothered. I either way, I think it's a good chat. You shouldn't be afraid of these chats. These are the chats we'll have in a pub. The only difference is, but it's stressful to me. Yeah, because the only difference is when we do it in a bar. Unless we do a live pod at a bar sometime and do it, you're not getting screamed at. Now we will be screamed at. I think you in particular for not going for the younger crew. So. I, uh... Yeah. R.I.P. to thine dimensions. I don't like. I I, I feel bad because I. I don't want to say I didn't. I, I like this team more or whatever than that. I loved that team. Oh my, Dempsey's my all-time favorite American player. You know what? Yeah, deal with it, everyone. And by the way, you are right. What you said before, the O2 team is sitting back, probably thinking, anyone going to bring us into this conversation? Yeah, because they were they they got to a quarterfinal. They're the best. Simple as that. Should have should have gone further. Indeed. We all know why they didn't. Horston Frings. Yeah. Yeah. Although sometimes I do think it's overstated a little bit when people are like, you know, oh, and the handball. And then they, we'd, we'd win that, be in the semifinal. Well, it would have tied it, right? Like, yeah. It's the same as Irish people. Still would have had to win. Henri de, Henri's handball uh, for Gallus's winner. It denied us everything. Well, we'd only just tied the game up. You know, we would have yeah. still have to get another goal. Yeah. Well, hey, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, as stressful as it was for me. When I was going through my 11, I was like, oh my God. How am I? I'm going to leave out Dest. Oh, I'm leaving out Musa. For, mm. uh, it was hard. It was hard. Well, let us know. What you I, I went with the coward's way. Yeah. You, public you, opinion will public yeah. opinion will, will look kindly on me. Old populist JJ. <laughs> Uh, well, this was this was great. I enjoyed this very much. Our thanks to Tarek Panja uh, for educating us and and all of you on uh, the 2034 World Cup and how it came about. And animals, I mean, share your thoughts on this uh, USMNT debate. 
I think it's fun. And it also made me think, JJ, that we really did not capitalize enough on Michael Owen saying, because we did this months ago, except with England, where yeah. Owen was on, where you spoke to Owen and asked him point blank, his team or this current one. And he, he said his team, despite the fact that they haven't experienced anywhere near the success that this current one did. I, I think that, I don't know. I feel like we, we missed an opportunity there. Yeah, we did. But like that was, I mean, that was a preseason chat with Owen, I guess, you know, we were in summer mode, Andrew. Yeah, the world wasn't ready quite yet for that conversation. They are now. Maybe we'll bump that one, put it out on social media, remind everybody that we we also create quality content. Uh, hey, JJ, JJ, this was great. Uh, enjoy the games coming up this weekend. To you, I say... Check you later, phone boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.